Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. All right, on this special overtime episode of The Big Show, we'll review and discuss several new series and films, including The Last Days of Tommy Gray, The Adam Project, Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, and Charles Kirkland and I will weigh in on The Batman. We'll have all that and more on this bonus episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. All right, and welcome to Overtime on The Big Show. Man, we've been I've been rocking this sweatshirt for a bunch of shows today. <laughs> so what's going on, Charles? How you doing, bro? I think blue looks good on me too. So I've been wearing this for oh, a while. God, man, we got we got a lot of stuff to talk about. So let's jump right in, bro. All right. So first up, man, is uh I want to talk about winning time, the rise of the Laker dynasty. And this series, uh dramatic miniseries, as they describe it, is the glitzy and glamour of the 1980s Los Angeles and the rise of the NBA Lakers, Dr. Jerry Buss in the rookie season of one Urban Magic Johnson on this new series on HBO Max that has already begun. The, the winning time, the rise of the Lakers, was created by Max Bornstein, Jim Heck for HBO, based on the book Showtime, Magic Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers Dynasties of the 80s by Jeff Perlman. The first season, as I said, chronicles the L.A. Lakers basketball team featuring notable stars Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and features an ensemble cast led by John C. Riley, Jason Clark, Gabby Hoffman, and Adrian Brody. Uh, the series premiered uh, earlier this month uh, and is directed by noted Oscar nominee Adam Kay. Um, so, Charles, did you get an opportunity to watch this, or do you need me to take this one? I watched a couple episodes. Yeah, All right, you watched a couple episodes. So, so what are you what are you feeling about this series? And remember. When you think about this series, see, you, you're sort of a young man, right? So, you know, 40 years ago when all of this stuff happened, you were probably, what, 12 or something like, 12, 11 or 12? Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably about that. Yeah, yeah. So Tim Gordon, is a, who's a, a smidge older than you, um, was in L.A. when all of this stuff went down. Like this whole story, I was in Los Angeles in the, in the military in the 80s L.A., it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun in Los Angeles. That was a that was a special snapshot time. So, uh, but I'll let you go first, and then I will talk about my experiences with the show and with 
uh, being in Los Angeles in the early 1980s when, when Showtime was a phenomenon. Look, okay, winning time. First, I think the one of the big standouts for me is seeing John C. Riley playing Dr. Jerry Buss. I, I mean, he, he <laughs> he's a chameleon in a lot of roles, and he, he really dives into this role. And uh, it, it's really a, a delight to see. I, the, the show is really entertaining. Uh, one of the things I like the best about it is uh, Black Real present presenter, Devon Nixon, plays his father, Norm Nixon, <laughs> who was a member of the Los Angeles Lakers at the time, um, which is perfect casting because he looks like just like his dad anyway. So um, Qu- uh, Quincy Isaiah plays... Um, uh, Magic Johnson, fresh out of Michigan State, coming in, trying to get acclimated to Los Angeles, and they're creating this this atmosphere of showtime in in Los Angeles. And I, I mean, it's a lot of fun to me. I thought it was a lot of fun, a lot of because yeah, I was twelve at the time when it was actually happening, maybe thirteen. But I remember, man, I I was I rooted for the the bullets the washington bullets at the time that this was happening but i was i really like to watch the lakers play because they were just flashy and and a lot of fun and just to see all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes with, with kareem abdul jabbar and everything oh man it's so one i enjoyed it a lot i i can't wait to finish the, the series out well let me tell you something man um i remember watching uh magic johnson and the Michigan State Spartans play against Larry Bird in Indiana State in 1979. And how, you know, the NBA at that time, which I think the series captures excellently, the NBA was in a really, really bad place. I mean, games, like you think about the NBA today and all the glitz and excitement and all the all-star games and all the stars that the game has. 40 years ago, man, games weren't even coming on live. And, and, you know, like when they got to the finals, which they haven't chronicled in the series yet, the finals was on tape delay, man. They weren't showing games live the way they are today. So Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and later on Michael Jordan are largely responsible for the absolute renaissance of what the game is. And this series, I think, does an expert job if you're of a certain age and you remember that time period. Uh, to see Quincy Isaiah as Magic Johnson trying to figure it out, man, coming in, you know, he's uh, there. There are a lot of questionable things that Magic Johnson did. <laughs> Stop laughing, Charles. And it's so interesting that the opening scene uh, is Magic Johnson leaving the clinic after getting the diagnosis that he is HIV positive. And when you watch the show, the first several episodes, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say. That's what you get. (laughs) I'm not going to say that's what you get. But you understand the behavior that Magic Johnson had. He was just, he was free. He was away from home for the first time. He was a star in L.A. and. You know, as Dave Chappelle said, he had they were throwing it at him. He was putting it in his pocket. It was falling on the floor. It was all over the place. But, so and the other thing that I think is really interesting 
is the actor Solomon Hughes, who plays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who I think to me is kind of, you know, the story is not focused on him, but he is such, his character is such a pivotal part of what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did and where, who he was at the time. So everything about this series as a basketball fan, first and foremost, works really, really well because they, you know, Jerry West, man, I never, <laughs> Charles, Jerry West can't be happy with his portrayal in this show. He just can't. I'm just, and you know who else can't be happy? It's Paul Westball. He can't yeah. be happy either. So <laughs> there are some. It is, it is Adam, Adam McKay is really, really good at these sorts of stories. And it's no, it's no accident that winning time is as is, is entertaining as it is. This man took a film called Don't Look Up. He got it nominated for Best Picture. You know, he's done the other guy. Adam McKay oh, is really good. The Big Short. He's really good at telling these kinds of stories. So, and and I will end by just saying that um, I don't know what HBO's plan is because what I think Charles they did, which is really genius, is that if you if you understood history, you don't you don't even actually need to figure out where the story is going, right? You know. The whole situation with Jerry Buss, who who hung out with Hugh Hefner at the Playboy Mansion and wanted to translate that level of, of entertainment and excitement to basketball, brings in this coach, uh, uh, McKinney, who in real time only coached 13 games. And you find out when you watch the episode what happened to him, because as I was Googling it, I was like, oh, Oh, that's what happened to him. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, man. So, oh my God, I, I love everything about this show. Uh, that for people like Charles and I, we were provided literally ninety percent, or, or actually eighty percent of the episodes. Would that be accurate, Charles? It's ten episodes. Yeah. We got eighty percent of the episodes. Without, if you do good math, you know how many that was. We got eighty percent. Um, so, I like this series a lot. It it it, uh, it it's kind of somber where they left us hanging, Charles. And I'm like, but you know where it's going. And I guess my original point was going to be, um, they can keep they can keep this thing going because the Lakers did win four more titles in the '80s. <laughs> so there's a lot of room for this show. And if if, it, if this really hits the way I think it is. You might have about five more years of this or four more years at bare minimum. Because we, well, actually, Charles, you can stretch it out longer than that because do we want to cover the years where the Lakers came up short against Boston? And then yeah, the following I mean, year, they won. That's in there. That's in there. But yeah. I'm, I'm going to say this much. I'm mad at HBO because giving me 80% of the show, I have to now wait eight weeks <laughs> to find out how it is to see the last two episodes. Uh, it, it's frustrating to me. I wonder when they do me like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so winning time, uh, but if I had to give it a grade, man, uh, you know, we do our star system. I mean, our, our, our numerical system. I give it a B. I give it a B. I think, I think there's some, some, some things that don't necessarily work or structure but they're trying to tell a lot of story and, and kind of they, they've yeah. got their central figure, which is Magic Johnson. And then you got Kareem floating around. You got Jerry Buss and what he's going through. You got the, the whole thing with all the players in the locker room, Spencer Haywood and all these other players. So 1980 
for the Lakers. The Laker girls. Don't forget the Laker oh, girls. Paul Abdul. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, by the way, no spoiler alert. The Lakers won the title that year, so don't act like he's spoiling it. No, it's called <laughs> Wikipedia. Google, it's your friend. <laughs> Lakers won the title that year. So winning time is a winning series. I liked it a lot. What are you thinking, Charles? I'm, I'm with you on the grade. I gave it a B as well. Very good, very entertaining, like I said, and I can't wait to see how it ends. All right, so we go from the HBO uh, winning time, the rise of the Laker dynasty, going over to Apple now, to the last days of Tommy Lee Gray, a story uh, based on a miniseries, drama based on a miniseries and novel from Walter Mosley. Uh, it premieres over this weekend on Apple, and it tells the story of a lonely 93-year-old man with dementia who is temporarily able to remember his past and use the time to investigate the death of his nephew. Samuel L. Jackson is Tom Lee Gray. Dominique Fishback is Robin. And he also, in this film, Samuel L. Jackson, which, which Charles didn't tell me when I was watching it, is that there's a hateful eight reunion in this movie with Walter Goggins, yeah. who plays Dr. Yeah. Rubin, and uh, yeah, I love the two of them together in The Hateful Eight. So they're back in this. Uh, Marcia Stephanie Blake is in this. Cynthia Wint McWilliams is in this. Omar Benson Miller is in this film. Now, in all transparency, I got a chance, Charles, to watch about three episodes. I know you watch more than that. So I'm going to let you carry it. Well, actually, I will start, and then I'm going to let you anchor it. I thought that Samuel L. Jackson, who, for the lion's share of his career, like his later career, has really coasted on the fact that he's Samuel L. Jackson. And I'm not saying that as a knock. You know, early in his career, you remember he was Gator in uh, Jungle Fever. Um, he, you know, had some, some other dramatic roles, most notably in A Time to Kill, you know, with that famous, you, uh, you damn right I did it. I hope they die in hell. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. I there's no there's no snakes, no MF and snakes on his MF. <laughs> Sam Jackson. Uh, what was the other one he did where he had Christina Ricci handcuffed and chained to a a black snake mold? I mean, so Sam has the ability. He he's a really good dramatic actor, but too many times I'm watching him do stuff like Triple X. Or, uh, you know, Formula 51. Sam, Sam will make some ridiculous movies and just be Sam Jackson in his movies. But when you give him the material and, and, and you ask him to act as they have here, Samuel L. Jackson can act. And I think he is really, really solid as Tommy Lee Gray, this, this old man who is trying to solve a case using this technology. Uh, I just I, I haven't seen enough of it to really make a really quality assessment. But from what I've seen between Dominic Fishback and Samuel L. Jackson, I'm loving what I'm seeing from this show. And I, I cannot wait to finish it out. Uh, the last days of Tom Lee Gray, I'm going to give it an, a, an incomplete grade because, as I said, I've only seen like three episodes. I give it over <laughs> to uh, I give the baton to uh, Charles Bolt. Usain Bolt to, to take us home, man. <laughs> okay. First of all, let me just say the show is called The Last Days of Tomily. Tom, Tom, what, what did I say? You said Tomily. It's Ptolemy. Ptolemy. 
Oh, damn. I'm sorry. My bad. The last days of Ptolemy. I said Ptolemy? Yes. Yeah, that's not what it's called, people at home. Listen to Charles on this one. It's the last days of Ptolemy. Ptolemy Gray. Right, right. And and other than that, you stole all my thunder. I, I think this is a great piece of work for Samuel L. Jackson. For it's, it's given him the opportunity to show the range of acting that he's capable of, not the the ridiculousness that he's done in the past. Not saying that it's bad. Even, even the, the stuff that he's done in The Hateful Eight has been very good. But he does absolute. I, I would say I don't think I've seen him scream one time. Right raise his voice one time in this whole uh, uh, series. In this I did series. when they stuck that needle in his arm. Oh, yeah. yeah but that, he, he didn't cuss, though. He didn't say, you motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> six episodes. I don't know how Apple was rolling it out, whether it's going to be one episode at a time. Or they're dropping all six. But, no, you um, got to wait. You got to wait six more weeks, man, before you can see us. Man, I, I'm gonna tell you, uh, a Walter Mosley tale. Walter Mosley, you know, many people remember "Devil in a Blue Dress" that he did back in the day, and some some other things that he's done. Um, this is a, a well-crafted story, and I, I'll say this much: you get three episodes, maybe the fourth episode, and you know where it's going by the fifth and sixth episode it's just the execution and so sometimes the execution is is where it counts and they really do it right throughout the whole series dominic dominic dominique fishback i i have no words to express how great her work is in this film i mean last time we saw her was uh, probably judas and the black messiah and she is a totally different person in this film than she was in that in this series, than she was in that film, and the and, but I thought she was dynamite in that. She's dynamite in this. It, the last days of Ptolemy Gray, I think, is some of the best work that Samuel Jackson's done, at least in a long time. I give it an I give it an A. Wow, that's high praise, man. Wow. So yeah, the last days of Ptolemy Gray premieres on Apple over the weekend. If you have an opportunity, please, please check it out. Which gets us to our next uh, film. And this one, now we jump from, uh, let's see, HBO Max to Apple, now to Netflix. Wow, this is pretty interesting. We just we just channel hopping right now. Uh, so up next is uh, The Atom Project. And of course, this is a story after accidentally crash landing in 2022, Time-traveling flight fighter pilot Adam Reed, played by Ryan Reynolds, teams up to save his 12-year-old self for a mission to save the future. Let me repeat that. A man from 2052 shows up in 2022 to encounter himself at a different age to save the future for the both of them, the younger him (laughs) as well as the older him. Uh, Jennifer Garner co-stars in this, Mark Ruffalo, Zoe Saldana, Catherine Keener. So it's a pretty star-studded cast. Now, I don't have a feeling you saw this one. Am I correct, Charles? No, didn't see this one. All right, so let me, uh, I'm going to have to Usain Bolt this whole thing, man, because it's clear, you know, you got nothing on the Adam uh, project. So I had the opportunity to see this one. And of course, Ryan Reynolds, and, you know, we just uh, earlier, you know, earlier this week, we did a show on superheroes where you have Deadpool in this one. Uh, 
And also in this one, you've got Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy and, uh, and Zoe Saldana. And you also had the Incredible Hulk in Mark Ruffalo. Jennifer Grey, has she done anything? Wasn't she? Uh, Jennifer Garner did. Uh, she was Electra, right? In the old Daredevil. So, you know. I'm saying she was Electra, right? Yeah. Wow. That man, go figure. Everybody, everybody is doing uh is doing superhero work. Uh, but in this film, where is that? Pretty much. But in this film, man, as I said, man, uh, a young boy by the name of Adam is uh having a lot of problems. Like I think he's in the fifth or sixth grade adjusting. He's getting beat up, he can't fight. Uh, you know, he's being rebellious. And his mother, who's recently lost her father, tragically is starting to now try to find herself and go out and date. And she leaves her son home one night and he hears a sound, goes to the shed and discovers Charles, like this never happens to any of us. He discovers uh, a, a stranger in there who uh, mysteriously knows how to get into a lock shed, mysteriously has been shot and mysteriously has some of the same wounds that the, the young boy had. And then the boy figures out that the man in the shed is actually him as an adult. And he is back on a mission that he is trying to save the future. And he grabs his younger self in tow. And this sci-fi movie, by the time we get to the second and third act becomes this family bonding film. It's a very interesting concept that I would not automatically say is a great film. I think that there's some moments in this act, the first act, maybe in the second act, and then later in the third act that come together to make interesting moments. But if you said, is it an interesting film? Probably not. Is it watchable? Can you put it on in the background while you're doing other stuff and it can play and you can kind of have pay attention to it? Sure you can. And to prove the point, Charles, the first night I watched it, I was so tired at home with my significant other. She watched the whole thing. I was passed out. I woke up the next day. I watched it again. I mean, it's entertaining, right? It's entertaining in a fun sort of popcorn way. There's nothing really serious about the movie uh, that, you know, that, that I will actually remember like a month from now. I mean, it's fair to Midland. I give it a C, C plus. I mean, I just thought it was, I thought it was okay, right? I'm not saying it was bad. It's not great. It's sort of living in that kind of that gray area that we, we, we hate as critics that, you know, I always tell people it's always great to write about a really bad movie or a really good movie where you struggle is writing about movies that, are, you know, it's I, you know, it's OK. It ain't great. So that's what the Adam Project is. Another one of these high profile kind of Netflix movies that will I call them channel stuffers. They stuff your channel. But they're not. They're, but they're not great by any means. They just they give you some content. They distract you for ninety minutes or two hours or whatever it is, and then you've moved on to something else. And that's kind of what I feel about the Adam Project. Well, when I heard about what the Adam Project was, I thought a lot about the Tomorrow War, which Netflix released just last year. No, that was Amazon Prime. Oh, you're right, Amazon Prime. That was Amazon Prime. The Tomorrow War. And uh, a combination of that with with the old Frequency movie, with Dennis Quaid's movie back from 2000. 
So uh, it, it sounds like it could be interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely check it out because I want to see what it's about. But uh, I don't have high hopes for it because um, I hate to say this, but he's better when he's Deadpool. If he's when he's not Deadpool, everything just doesn't really work for him. So uh, great when he's Deadpool. He's great. All right, so we go from one comic superhero character to our final film of the day. And Charles and I did not get a chance to weigh in on this. So I've been waiting for this. Uh, Batman, the Batman we want to discuss now, ventures into Gotham City's underworld when a sadistic killer leaves behind a trail of cryptic clues. As the evidence begins to lead closer to home and the scale of the perpetrator's plans become clear, Batman must forge new relationships, unmask the culprit, and bring justice to the abuse of power and corruption that has long plagued the metropolis. Matt Reed directs The Batman, which stars Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano, Jeffrey Wright, John Turturro, Peter Sarsgaard, Andy Serkis, and Colin Farrell. And let me just come straight out the gate and tell you, in case you, this is the first time you've ever watched this show, that Charles Kirkland will tell you that my favorite superhero of all time, of course, is the only pop fun code that I own. It's Batman. My favorite superhero movie of all time. Out the box? No, it's been sitting here. It's the only one that's in my office that sits here. It's the Batman, right? You took it out the box, though. Took it out the box, man. Don't worry about it because I'm not a collector and I'm not a nerd. Secondly, my favorite superhero film of all time, Charles, is what? Uh, The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. Wrote a, I wrote what seemed like I, it was supposed to be a review back in 2008. It was like an essay. Love the Dark Knight. Love <laughs> Batman. I, I'm just, I'm just saying this, setting it up to tell you that after I left the Batman, guess what? My new favorite Batman movie is now the one we're talking about right now, the Batman. And let me tell you why, really quickly. The opening sequence, the first time Commissioner Gordon played by my our, our, our Black Real Award nominated actor, Jeffrey Wright, shows up. He puts the bat signal in the air. And, and the first time the criminals go, oh, stab us the bat signal. We got to get out of here. He's coming. He's coming. I said, wait a minute. People are running from Batman? And yes, they are. Gotham is a living hell. Batman is the only thing holding back. <laughs> the torrent of crime in this city and this Batman ain't that goofy Batman from like the serials in the 1940s. This ain't the Adam West Batman your grandfather used to rock with. This ain't even the, the, the corny Michael Keaton, George Clooney, Val Kilmer Batman, right? And I'm going to tell you exactly what he also is not. He's not also the, 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 the supporting actor Batman that starred in the, in the trilogy of films from Christopher Nolan, where the heroes or the villains, excuse me, were, were front and center. You know, whether it was Scarecrow and Batman Begins, Heath Ledger's legendary performance in The Dark Knight, and then finally Bane and Bat, I mean, what was it called? The Dark Knight Rises or Dark Knight Returns? Yeah, whatever. The Dark Knight Rises. Rises, right? So what you get now, and in my estimation on why it's now my favorite Batman movie, is you get a Batman that, you know, is, is just gangster. He's like a thug Batman. Batman is just walking around the city, beating people down, 
running around. He's also using his superpower, which is his brain, as a detective because now what we're doing is is he's Matt Reeves is using a similar formula to what Christopher Nolan did. Christopher Nolan did a crime drama, right? When he did The Dark Knight, which is why I love it so much, right? It just happened to have Batman and the Joker in this amazing, engrossing crime drama. This one is like watching Zodiac, like he's he's hunting down clues for a serial killer. And you, you get Batman is the only person who's able to solve all the riddles. He's able to figure it out. And along the way, as he's figuring it out, you have this other character, Selena Kyle, who they never call Catwoman, but we know it's her. Uh, they, she also has her own methodology. The two of them are kind of sort of working together sometimes, adversary sometimes. Love, love, love the story. And, and, and here's the kicker, Charles. This movie is literally almost three hours long. And guess what? You don't even feel it. You could have had that movie run a, another hour and I'd have been good with it. The Batman is the first great movie of 2022, and it is a revelation uh, of how good this movie is and, and how suddenly it feels like DC has a true pulse. Because, you know, we've had some starts before. They had Wonder Woman, and then the second Wonder Woman was trash. Uh, they had the first Aquaman, and then the tone was kind of like this. It sort of kind of worked, but yeah, this movie right here, Oh yeah, this is the brooding Batman, but this is the this is not the Batman I thought we needed. I mean, this is not the Batman I wanted, but it's absolutely the Batman I needed. The Batman, I'm giving this an A. This is this has really moved my Dark Knight love to the background, and now giving me a new reason to believe in the Cape Crusader. Charles Kirkland, what what say you? <laughs> I've always said that DC has had a problem with capturing the tone of their comic books in their movies. I can no longer say that because this film captures the essence of who Batman really is in the comic books and brings him to the screen. He's not some uh, superpower dope He's, who just decides to take on Superman for whatever reason that we saw with Ben Affleck, the one Batman you didn't mention. Right. Um, he's not, he's not a, 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 an unskilled learning guy that we saw in The Dark Knight. This is the world's greatest detective, Batman, that we see. And this is, the movie is a detective novel, a no, de detective noir story yep. with Batman in it. And um, I think we talked in our, our superhero show, the reason that Captain America, the Winter Soldier was the great, one of the greatest Marvel films made was because it was an espionage thriller with Captain America in it. So the focus is that this is a story. This is a genuine story, a detective story about saving lives and creating, uh, catching a criminal, but it has Batman in it. And Batman is a G, and he's walking. He's walking around, strutting through the police like, "What? What are you saying?" Oh my God! That scene <laughs> in the police station when Batman comes through, and he literally because Batman's like NWA. He was like after police. He is yeah. fighting the police in the police station. Batman is my that's my Batman right there. <laughs> that's so, my Batman. I mean, yeah. I, so 
the I think Michael Keaton has always been the best person to do Batman and Bruce Wayne because they were two different identities. In this movie, Robert Pattinson is the, the right Batman because he has Batman down to a T and then he's developing Bruce Wayne as he goes along through the film. So where it starts in the, where he starts in the beginning, he doesn't end at, at the beginning of the film. Everybody grows, everybody expands. I mean, villains, Catwoman, who's a Selena Kyle, excuse me, Zoe Kravitz is, is delightful. I mean, she's one of the best that ever do, has done it as a cat woman because she's she doesn't isn't beholden to one. She's very complex. And in all the other movies, we get this simple idea of who Catwoman is. And I think Anne Hathaway's Catwoman was pretty good, but Zoe Kravitz takes it to another level of she's not just a she's not a villain and, and uh, she's kind of like an anti-hero I mean she's a hero and she's got villain and she's I mean there's so many layers to her I uh, I loved every moment of the Batman and like you said very well paced I mean from the second you sit down to the second you get up you are engaged engrossed in this film there, there, there's no time when you're like, uh, what, uh, what, uh, no, no lag time in this film. It runs perfectly. I think this is a the greatest DC film, a DC Batman film ever. Look, I agree with you, man. You heard me say it moved my Dark Knight back to the to number two. So, and all right, Charles, said, I... they've already said that there's going to be they're going to do a trilogy with this guy. So you if the starting point for this Batman is much higher than the starting point for Nolan's Batman, which was Batman Begins. Absolutely, so I agree. He can continue this arc all through this, the three stories. It'll be the best ever. Wow. All right, man. So that wraps it up for us today. But before we get out of here, this had a surprise for Charles. With baseball back, uh, it is it is on like hot butter popcorn. Um, I cannot wait until the first time that I can get a chance to go out to the Nationals Park, because I only go to Nats Park one time, actually for one team, this one. That's the only time I'm in Nats Park. So every time the Mets are in town, Charles, we can go and hang out, man. We can go and, 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 and go and spend some quality time and watch the Nats play. You say that like I'm a, a Nats fan. I'm not a Nats fan, I'm an O's fan, remember? Well, I don't know if the if my beloved team is coming to Baltimore this year, but uh, we need to – baseball is back. I cannot be more excited, and I can't be more excited. I'll just say this at the end because Steve Cohen owns the Mets. Steve Cohen has $16 billion. He has so much money. They created – Charles, I don't know if you read this yet. They created a fourth tier of taxation just for the Mets because they know the Mets at 271 right now. And they still need some more players. We might go over three this year. And the fourth threshold starts at 290. Mets are going to cruise past 290. His attitude was like, hey, man, if you're going to go over it, go way over it. So we go. <laughs> Charles. <laughs> it was the same owner you had last year. And, and what happened? He didn't spend that same kind of money last year. He didn't spend that money last year. Uh, last and before before we get out of here, Matt, Matt Scherzer and Jacob Degrom are in the same rotation. Just think about that for a second. You, you don't have to comment. Think about 
five Cy Youngs, and they still going to add more pitching. They, they, there's rumors out here now about more pitching they're going to add tonight. Look, Charles, it's going to be a fun summer. <laughs> yes, bless you. So with that being said, thank you guys for watching our bonus uh, overtime episode of The Big Show. We've been doing shows, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy the content. Uh, as I tell you all the time, please see something good at the movies. If you know, like I know, the Batman, hey, you need to get up in there. Huh? Hey, Tim, be, be safe on your way out to L.A. Well, thank you, Charles. Uh, well, have fun. I will think about you often. I think one of the things I want to work on is that if I find a particular star, I want to record her saying, hey, Charles, it's too bad you weren't here. We miss you. That would be fun. <laughs> be fun. Charles, you take care. <laughs> Charles, you take care. Uh, that's why you got to watch the podcast. The podcast is fun, man. Charles and I have a lot of fun doing this. We'll see you guys on the other side. Uh, you guys enjoy your weekend. Charles, uh, I would say say travels to you, but you're not coming. Uh, but you enjoy, man. You enjoy your weekend. And we will talk, sir. All right. Take care, man. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.